Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Matt, the co-host of the channel. I'm here with Mendel, my co-host, and today we'll be talking to Cynthia Baker about her new book, Jew, part of the Key Words in Jewish Studies series from Rutgers University Press. Cynthia Baker, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Our first question is just, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then about how you came to write this book, especially given how expansive it is in both breadth and depth? Okay. Well, again, thank you for having me. Um, I'm a professor of religious studies at Bates College, a small liberal arts college in Lewiston, Maine. I teach all the Judaism classes and pre-modern Christianity in our tiny but fabulous four-person small liberal arts department. Um, Jew is my second book. My first was entitled Rebuilding the House of Israel, Architectures of Gender in Jewish Antiquity. That book uh, explored rabbinic constructions of women and women's bodies in conversation with larger domestic, local, and imperial spaces, uh, Roman imperial spaces. It worked on developing appropriate and effective ways to read material culture and texts together. So um, trying to synthesize ways, uh, more sophisticated ways than than I had uh, received uh, as a graduate student, um, in thinking about how texts and archaeology, material culture, could be uh, brought together uh, to think about things like gender, power, place. So I came to write uh, this book, Jew, actually, in response to an invitation by Andrew Bush, a scholar at Vassar um, College. And I've actually never met him or even spoken to him by phone. We've uh, just had sort of an email relationship for uh, for several years now. But one day, completely out of the blue, uh, quite a number of years ago, he wrote me a fan letter after reading my first book. The, and that's the first fan letter I had ever received and uh, the only one he says that he had ever written. Um a few years later, he became one of the three editors, along with Deborah Dash Moore and Mac Moore uh, of Rutgers' Keywords in Jewish Studies series. And so I was, I was uh, in his uh, Rolodex, as it were, uh, on his mind as somebody who might be a, a good author for this series. And he contacted me to ask me if there were a word in the entire field of Jewish studies about which I could imagine writing an entire book. So given my previous book on, uh, on space, on place, on architectural uh, material built environment, I, you know, immediately said, well, you know, I could certainly write on space and place. Uh, but it turned out that Barbara Mann uh, had just uh, recently completed a uh, doctoral dissertation on that subject, and she had already snatched that uh, subject. And I should say the resulting book is really, really marvelous. So I went back to the drawing board, looked over my other research interests at the time, and was really struck by how the term Jew was a thread that was already running through a number of them. Um, My article, When Jews Were Women, uh, had recently been published at the time, um, and that grew out of uh, my my noticing uh, in my studies of Mishnah that the word Jew almost never appeared, and then when it it did appear, it seemed to to always be in the context of discussions of women and women's transgressions, and I was struck by uh, that sort of coincidence, if you will. Um, so that's how the book, that's how I came to take on this project. And I was also at a point in my career where I was anxious to, to take on a challenge to really, you know, use my next project to expand my knowledge base and, and take some intellectual risks. I, I wanted to go exploring uh, well beyond my comfort zone and expertise, which was, is primarily in antiquity, but also 
uh, modern historiography. So I just uh, uh, took a deep breath and um, plunged into Jew. I can say we're certainly grateful and I feel like you can almost think of this as our fan letter to you. In a way. <laughs> That's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we're hoping you could tell us a little bit more about about the term Jew, about what you, why you decided to sort of entitle the book Jew. Um, and you described the project of the book as the exploration of, quote, the significance and implications of a single key insight regarding the word Jew. Could you just tell us a little bit more about what this insight is and perhaps why why you think it's so important and fundamental for Jewish studies? Okay. Um, well, the fact that the series in which the book was to be published was called Key Words in Jewish Studies gave me permission uh, to treat the word itself as my subject matter. Um, now saying that, I should be clear that other authors in the series um, have approached their words and subject matters differently. We, they, they're not all sort of word fixated in the way that I ended up being. So other titles in the series are, it, well, the series started with, uh, with, the t- with a book titled Jewish Studies, uh, itself and other volumes in the series are Jewish families, Haskalah, Holocaust, Jewish peoplehood, space and place, as I mentioned. And the next volume coming out in uh, October uh, from Daniel Boyarin will take on Judaism. So I did Jew. He's doing Judaism. Um, we've, well, those, those, uh, we'll see how, how they uh, speak to each other or completely diverge um, I've read parts of the manuscript, but not the whole thing. Anyway, I was personally drawn and took the 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 um, the mission of the of the series uh, as that kind of permission to focus on the word itself. In part because, as you say, the expansiveness of the of the subject matter you could easily drown in in you know that sea of of material. So I found that by maintaining a disciplined focus on the word itself, um, that disciplined focus created a kind of boundary that paradoxically gave me all kinds of license to think creatively and capaciously uh, within the limits circumscribed by that boundary. Um, Then among you know, once I was sort of within those constraints that gave me, as I said, paradoxically, a kind of freedom, um, I became particularly intrigued by the realization that, and here's the the sort of single point around which the the book revolves uh, that you mentioned, and I'll, I'll just quote what I how I put it in the introduction. Um, I was struck by the realization that, quote, those identified as Jews have not, in fact, owned the word Jew or controlled the discourse about it or even much used the term for most of the past 2,000 years, unquote. So then I, I begin to wonder, so who did own this word and what did they do with it? And and um, the the short answer is, Obviously, Jew was a, a became a major building block of Christian self understanding, and given the Christian West, Jew becomes really foundational to the contours of Western culture writ large. Um, but then, what's the process by which Christian meanings and the power of naming became? ultimately contested. Here I am in the 21st century, in the 20th and 21st century, using Jew, I'm in Jewish studies, I'm using Jew as uh, a taken for granted term of identification. Um, Millions of people uh, self-identified by this term um, in all kinds of contexts. Um, And yet it also remains an unreconstructed epithet in others or very, you know, an obvious term for, for other, uh, Charlottesville, uh, being, a, a, a very recent example of this usage. So, um, you might also remember several years ago when, when, uh, if you did a Google internet search on Jew, and I, I talk about this in my book, um, the first page of results was all pretty much all hate groups. And it, 
that 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 actually became a thing that became a story in itself the fact that you could google the word jew and your first results page was all um was all stuff from hate groups um so uh and, and then they put up a disclaimer on the page saying you know yes we 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 understand these are how did they put it, uh, very disturbing results and uh, encouraged people who really wanted to know uh, about Jews or Judaism to, to look up Judaism or Jewish people or even Jews, plural, instead of the word Jew, which seemed to really be, you know, have a lock on it by these uh, hate groups in this respect. So in any case, that's one really great example of, of how those who self-identify as Jews um, don't really get to own or control the term. In fact, quite the opposite, opposite still is the case. So I was really curious um, to look at that whole sweep from uh, the early years of, of Christian use of the term. So Jew is much more frequently used in the New Testament, uh, for example, the Christian scriptures than it is in at, at all in the Jewish scriptures, the the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament. Um, so uh, that pattern just really captured my imagination and became sort of the core insight of the book. That that example is also so interesting. I don't actually remember when um, that was happening on Google, but it was a sort of reading when reading the book. It was a, it was an example that sort of tied together you know, the sort of early antiquity examples that you were talking about with, you know, present day discourses in a way that was sort of, I thought, really powerful. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 as I said, I, I think you could hear in my voice, uh, even even after all these years of wading through this material, I still find it really intriguing and, and compelling. Um, this word and the dynamics around it um, continues to be fascinating to me. Um, you just described a really fascinating example, and we were both interested, especially because the book spans antiquity to the present day. Um, we were wondering if you could describe your research process a bit. Um, you focus on the word Jew, but how did you go about um, choosing your examples? Were there examples that you decided to, left, to leave out that were especially difficult to leave out? Good question. This is like a pertinent question. This is a pertinent question for us too, as graduate <laughs> students who are sort of embarking <laughs> on this process and trying to figure out how to how to compose these these narratives. <laughs> so no no pressure. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> no Well, I'm not sure how helpful this will be, but I'll, I'll tell you about my process, and you'll see why I I'm. I'm not sure it's uh, replicatable, but um, so in this book, I, I really did let myself be guided by the structures envisioned in, um, by the series editors. So um, keywords in Jewish studies, the, uh, the series uh, uh, um, calls for a three-part division and the three parts, they actually give you the names or the rubrics for the three parts, terms of the debate is the first part, state of the question is the second part, and the third is that what something they call in a new key. Uh, and they ask you to use this three-part uh, division. Some of the some of the books, you know, really use that as a structuring principle, and they tell you, you know, what they broadly have in mind. And others completely ignore it. I think I'm I'm I actually again just like putting those constraints of keeping my focus on the word uh, Jew itself, I found that sort of trying, really using um, uh, the, the, what was suggested to me or what, what, how these, uh, each of these three divisions made me um, think about my material uh, and helped me structure it. I really did um, find that very useful um, the editors of the series uh, also suggested that the books could form a, the content of the books could form a historical arc or some kind of thematic sequencing. Um, and my book does start with antiquity and end with the genomic era. Uh, so I do have that kind of historical arc built in, but I, I decided pretty early on that I, I really didn't have the stomach for or any desire to do 
anything resembling conventional historiography. Um, I really, I, I, I actually had sort of a, a physical, uh, uh, I don't know, as I say, I really, I just didn't have the stomach for when I thought of writing a conventional historiography, I just became bone weary. And it's like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. So where did that leave me? Um, I, ba- I basically had to either invent a genre for this book or to mix and blend and bend existing genres to ask the questions and create the frameworks uh, for the kinds of things that I wanted to know about. So um, part one, I wanted to think about origins and categories, those sort of basic building blocks, those basic stories and narratives Um, the history and contemporary historiography around this word. So I wanted to, um, or needed to perhaps, write about the origins of the word, but then that necessity spawned a more uh, meta-reflection on the whole quest for origins and how narratives of origins work to constitute, legitimate, maintain particular identities and political agendas, right? So I also knew that I had to address, so there was that piece, that origins piece and how narratives of origins do work, do political ideological work in the contemporary world. So that was uh, the first piece I really wanted to grapple with in part one. Um, And then there was the whole Jew-Judean question, and we can talk about that um, more fully later if you'd like. So there was this whole Jew-Judean debate going on in um, studies of Jewish antiquity. And finally, I wanted to take on the question of of these categories, Jew as, a, as an ethnic versus religious religion category, right? So again, these sort of big, broad, fundamental, categorical uh, and historical questions. Um, which it turns out, and this, so this question of ethnicity versus religion is deeply interwoven in the Jew-Judean debate and the quest, quest for origins in, in really interesting ways. So part one was more, I guess, of what you could call a, a genealogy or a sort of laying foundations um, chapter. And so those were my questions. Um, I don't really think I have, I, I didn't do, I didn't, wasn't really using examples in the way that you're asking about, you know, how did I choose my examples? It, it really was this, uh, this sort of genealogy of Christian appropriation of the term of scholarly debates about its antiquity and origins and so forth. Um, so that's terms of the debate. If I may, one thing I really appreciated about that chapter was it felt as someone who doesn't really study antiquity at all, it felt like I, as reading it, I got such a good presentation of what was going on and what was happening amongst scholarly debates, but also that you were making such a strong and compelling argument about what was happening and sort of reading through both of those um, was really was really thrilling, I would say. Um, can you just sort of make clear for our listeners what 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 your argument is and how you view those some of those scholarly debates? Uh, in part one? In part one, yeah. Okay, in part one. So, um, uh, so the Jew-Judean debate, uh, and which also becomes the sort of ethnicity versus religion debate, uh, broadly, broadly summarized would be, well, so there's emerged over the past few decades, um, this growing practice in studies of late antiquity, of translating the Greek word eudaios uh, and the Hebrew word Yehudi, Aramaic Yehudai, the, these ancient terms uh, in in these in ancient texts, um, as Judean, they they've traditionally been translated as Jew. Eudaios is Jew, um, but recently uh, scholars have been making the case for translating them as Judean. Um, and avoiding translating them as Jew in English language scholarship. Um, but the, the sort of scholarly rationales for this, this shift from uh, translating as Jew to translating as Judean, uh, actually, the, 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 uh, 
the rationales given uh, really are, um, run a, a, a wide gamut of, of reasoning, um, uh, with some scholars talking about uh, you know, up to within a certain time period, we should translate it Judean, and then after this time period, uh, we should uh, translate as Jew. Um, some scholars in these debates insist on a narrowly geographic and primarily adjectival use of Judean, um, but many, I would say most, uh, have come to describe what they see as a kind of evolution from an earlier period of Judeanness, Judeans roamed the face of the Fertile Crescent, um, to a developmentally later period that saw the emergence of Jews from this Judean seedbed. So perplexingly, this period of emergence of Jews, um, some scholars identify it as occurring as earlier as earlier as the era of the biblical patriarchs. Others say this is, uh, you know, Judeans become Jews in the period of the Babylonian Empire. Um, others, Shia Cohen uh, in particular, says, no, 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 we see the shift from Judeans uh, to Jews during the Hasmonean Empire in the second century BCE. Babylonian is more sixth century BCE. And then others say, no, 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 we have Judeans right up into the Christian era. And uh, it's really with the consolidation of Christianity that we no longer have Judeans. We start having Jews, uh, in which case Jew is largely a function of, you know, uh, Christian hegemony and Christian. So, so what's the difference between Judean and Jew? Um, so, another perplexing aspect of this debate is the um, is the fact that uh, different scholars in different schools of thought uh, give different reasons for avoiding the word Jew or for using a bifurcated terminology, Judean versus Jew. Um, so, the majority assert th- uh, that the distinction between Judean. Uh, the Judean names an ethnic group, an ethnogeographic entity. Judeans are an ethnogeographic entity. What we would now term uh, sociologically, I think, is a kind of secular category, right? So now we're also getting into secular versus religious modern scholarship. So the secular ethnogeographic category versus Jew, which names a practitioner of a religion, the religion of Judaism, or uh, the practitioner, uh, an adherent of a religiously defined uh, social group. So some scholars, um, some scholars, so that's, that's one way, that's, that's one way in which it gets divided, right? There's a difference between being an ethnogeographic entity and being a religious entity. And so I take on why that's a really problematic argument to make. Other scholars cite the long history of Christian derogation of the word Jew, um, and they express a desire to circumvent that history by verbally distinguishing Judeans as a pre-Christian identity from Jews of later eras. So, for example, um, in the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature, um, they go out of their way to say, let's see, I should, I should quote this. They say, um, quote, incalculable harm has been caused by simply glossing eudios with Jew, for many readers or auditors of the Bible translations do not practice the historical judgment necessary to distinguish between circumstances and events of an ancient time and contemporary ethnic religious social realities with the result, this is, I'm still quoting, with the result that anti-Judaism in the modern sense of the term is needlessly fostered through biblical texts, unquote. So somehow, so then they go on to translate um, all of these New Testament texts, which which were, you know, if you read the New Testament, it's all about, you know, the Jews did this and the Jews did that. But somehow now making Jesus, his followers, and his detractors all Judeans um, ameliorates the, uh, the, the, anti-Judaism, if you will, the, the, the ability to use the New Testament uh, in the present day as, a, um, uh, as authorizing 
prejudice against or uh, antagonism toward Jews. So that that was a that was a bit more than a sort of a quick summary. But um, so we have the Jew Judean uh, ethnicity versus religion, or we don't want to continue, you know, the negative uh, the negative uh, associations that the that Christianity has really heaped upon uh, Jews and Jewishness for millennia. Um, and so we're going to change the translation of these ancient texts so that modern readers won't think they're talking about those nasty Jews in Jesus' time. They're talking about Judeans. We don't know what that means, but it's not the same as my Jewish neighbor. Yeah. Does that, does that work? No, it's does really, that, I, okay. no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's, for, but. <laughs> we're both really interested in like, um, in really fascinating ways, you you interrogate some of the like the secular categories that are being used to describe antiquity, for example. And Mendel and I have discussed um, how we might situate your work in contemporary studies of religion. And we're both interested. You mentioned earlier genealogy, and we were we were wondering if you could say how your work is or isn't in dialogue with Talal Assad's genealogy of religion. Earlier, you also mentioned Daniel Boyarin, and he seems to be interested in a very particular kind of philology. Um, and we're just, if we're wondering if you could locate your own project within scholarship or within a cultural history today, what kind of critical dialogue do you see yourself participating in? Or what kind of dialogue do you hope to start? And I might add, these are the kinds of questions you also pose to the material you're working with. So we were wondering if um, we're, we're taking a cue from your own book here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, so uh, I'll, I'll answer. I don't, I, I should say, I don't really have a good answer to that question, but I'll give it a shot. Um, and uh, uh, if you, we can maybe circle back uh, to, you asked about my method earlier. And I think that that also gives a, you know, a sense of um, who I perhaps, you know, what, what I'm doing, who I understand myself to be in dialogue with, because my, my method in part one that we just uh, have mm-hmm. spent this time talking about the questions and the, and the methods for part one are very different from what I did in part two and part three of the book, which, uh, which moved, you know, much, much more expressly beyond my, uh, my original expertise or my original sort of scholarly uh, location. But um, I'll try to answer this uh, this question. I tend not to be all that good about being self-reflective about who I am and how I function within sort of larger scholarly conversations. I guess that's but, our job, isn't it? Um, <laughs> what comes to mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what what comes to mind in response to your question um, is a com- is a comment by a, an, an anonymous peer reviewer of the manuscript when it was. Uh, you know, it still had to go, even though it was commissioned in a sense, it still had to go through a peer review process. And uh, an anonymous uh, reviewer wrote something to the effect that um, the first section of this book seems aimed toward scholars of religion. Uh, part two seems aimed toward Jewish study scholars. And part three feels like it's more for social scientists. Um, and then this, this review went on to suggest that the closest text, because when you're reviewing a book manuscript, I don't know if you've done this um, yet, but when you're reviewing a book manuscript, um, they ask you what else is out there like this. What is, you know, what, what it, are their competing titles? What is this? And so the, the, uh, this, this reviewer went on to suggest that the uh, closest set of texts to Jew would be the work yeah. of Gil Adnajar. Okay, his Semites and secularism and blood, again, these big themes. Uh, but, um, but then the reviewer said Baker's book is infinitely more accessible and said that's a compliment uh, while, while not uh, sacrificing any intellectual rigor. Um, so personally, I would love to be able to read and make sense of Gil Anajar's books. Um, they seem so interesting and important, but I've, I've just never been able to decipher them. Um, and that's on me, of course. That's not, that's not on Gil or anyone else because I'm having difficulty, um, you know, uh, getting understanding what's going on in books like that. 
Um, and I, I'll admit it took me years to get past the first few pages of Judith Butler's Gender Trouble. Um, and, but and as if you've read the book, so you know, I, I think I do okay by Judith Butler now. Um, but um, so that's that's um, that's what comes to mind when you ask about. And clearly, I am in very much in dialogue with in in that first part of the book. I'm very much in dialogue with uh, people like Daniel Boyarin and. Um, uh, Denise Buell and uh, um, I'm really not good at pulling names out of the air. Uh, uh, Andrew Jacobs and there's a whole, there's actually a whole, a whole conversation um, that I I'm aware of. I, I know my conversation partners um, in in antiquity. Uh, in the other parts of the books, uh, the other parts of the book, I'm more in dialogue with well for example in the in part two uh just to go back to uh your uh your first question uh part two my two challenges were i really had to to um learn new material and find new conversation partners because one of the tasks i set myself in part two was so having said that jew that Jews have not owned or or really much used the word Jew for most of the past two millennia, up until the modern era, where Jews, people who self-identify as Jews, come to appropriate that term in the dominant vernaculars of of Western Europe, of of the Mediterranean, and so forth. The one real exception that I had to deal with, and that that really seemed to uh, potentially blow my thesis out of the water is the word yid, the Yiddish word yid. So the Yiddish word yid, if you look in any dictionary or any, you know, if you look at Yiddish studies, yid translates as Jew. So here are a bunch of Yiddish speakers calling each other yid, calling each other Jew. So that 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 get that gives a lie to my original thesis. So I really had to grapple with that question, uh, which I do in part two. So my interlocutors there, I, 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 as a non Yiddish, as a scholar, I'm not a scholar of Yiddish. And that's, that's something that's obvious, I think in there. So I really had to find interlocutors and conversation partners who were thinking or whose work gave me a way of asking the questions that I wanted to ask about how that word yid functions in Yiddish culture, what it is about Yiddish culture, and uh, and its and its use of the word yid that is and is not like uh, the way in which Jew in dominant non-Jewish languages functions. So yid is Jew in Yiddish, but Yid in Yiddish does not function at all in the same way that Jew the, that the word Jew functions in dominant vernaculars. So that's I, I I'm exploring that um, uh, it, you know for a chunk of of uh, of part two. That's my exploration. So then again, so there my my conversation partners are completely different in a sense. Naomi Seidman. Um, uh, is a, was a huge help in that because she thinks about translation. She thinks and writes about translation. So I really found I'm, I'm entering into the, I'm, I'm, I'm gathering around me conversation partners that, that help to take me and my thinking where I want to go, whether, whether the, the book as a whole fits within any kind of scholarly paradigm or genre or larger conversation. Well, the way to answer that question would be to say, um, as you know, the book was um, was the subject of a marginalia uh, forum, and I was really thrilled and honored when uh, when uh, that uh, when that came to uh, came to pass. So so it my conversation partners or the the um the community uh of of scholars and scholarship around this book i think is beautifully wonderfully uh represented in that forum um uh for which i'm really really grateful 
um, that, um, uh, and here I'm blanking on names again, Shaul Magid and uh, I can see her face. What's her name? The two, uh, the two scholars who pulled together that forum. Oh, Annette. Uh, oh, help me out here. Yeah, Annette. Annette right. Yoshiko Reed. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Wonderful scholars in their own right, and uh, uh, you know the two who pulled together that forum. So that's another way of answering your question about. Um, you know, I think there are there are a whole. Because I wanted to do so many different things with this book and sought out interlocutors, um, a whole range of different conversations and different conversation partners find their way into this book um, at different places and in different ways. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's my answer. (laughs) No, yeah, that's amazing. And um, we actually just had Nomi Seidman at the University of Chicago. So it's an interesting overlap there. Um, could you say a bit more about the second part of the book, about which is primarily about Yiddish, um, or at least in large part about Yiddish? What is it exactly about Yid that that counters the, the, the overarching claim of the book? And how did you resolve that difference? Or is it something that just doesn't fit within the paradigm overall? Is it, um, could, yeah, could you just say a bit more about the argument of the second second essay or the second chapter. Okay. So this is the, the, so part two of the book, uh, is in three parts, uh, within that, within part two, there are three parts. Part one is, uh, is uh, focuses on this question of the word, uh, Yid in Yiddish. And, um, I guess what I came, what I really came to understand uh, with the help of Naomi Seidman and Sandra Gilman and others, is that um, is that Yid in a Yiddish context um, is not at all the same thing uh, as Jew I, in in um, in the context of uh, of uh, larger discourses. So so for example, if you want to ask. Uh, uh, how do I boil down uh, everything I do in that in that in that Yiddish part? The, ba- basically, what I came to realize was that um, that in Yiddish, the word Yid functions in such a way. In Yiddish, being a Jewish language, an internal Jewish language, a language that is neither coherent to nor used by uh, the dominant hegemonic cultures within which Yiddish-speaking Jews lived and moved. So Jews, Yiddish speaking Jews had to be largely had to be uh, bilingual or trilingual, right? So they lived in the, within larger hegemonic cultures and were part of them. I don't want to, I, I really want to resist this sort of, uh, you know, host culture and, you know, perpetual exile model, because I don't, I think that's deeply problematic as well. But, but Jews really did Yiddish speaking Jews really had to spoke Yiddish in some contexts and spoke the dominant vernacular in other contexts. So they were two completely linguist, different linguistic worlds. So in Yiddish, the term Yid largely simply means man, person, mm-hmm. human being in a, in a very specifically Yiddish context. Whereas, as we know, if you say Yid, in an English context, in the English context, if you say "jid" in Russian, you almost say it's spitting, right? "Jid." Yeah. It's it's a it's derogatory. Not at all. It, it practically means "mensch" in right. Yiddish. So if you wanna, if you wanna, the, uh, the first section of that uh, my convert my my uh, my discussion of Yiddish in part two um, uh, is uh, the subtitle is "Vos macht Yid." So just simply to ask, how are you doing? One Yiddish speaker to another, how are you doing? Uh, literally translates as, uh, what's a Jew doing? What's it? But right. whereas if you walked up to somebody and said in English, yo, Jew, how's it going? Right? <laughs> You're not saying the same thing at all as, yo, bro, how's it going? Right? Um, right. So that's really, there's a fundamental difference between speaking um, be, be, between speaking an insider language and how the word yid functions in that insider context versus the way in which uh, the term 
Jew or Jid or or um, uh, Judeo, you know, in in any of the other uh, sort of dominant uh, right. vernaculars, the word Jew functions. Um, it's it's you know the N word in English is uh, it, I mean it's it's it that's not a good analogy, but to some extent it works, right? Who gets to use that term? But that but who gets to use the N word, right? If you're using it. If 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 you're if you're black and using it in a within a black community context, it's very different than if you are part of the white hegemony and using that term. Even if you want to use it in a in a sort of ally, if you're trying to use it as an ally, it just it just doesn't work, right? The difference, the fundamental difference there, of course, is that the the N word doesn't. It never has been and still isn't a sort of taken for granted everyday term the way the word Jew is, you know, Jew is, Mm. is not uh, a fundamentally or originally derogatory term in the same way. I mean, it is and it isn't right. So it's an imperfect analogy. Right. So if I can just uh, give a quick anecdote that I think confirms the argument, um, I was in a Yiddish class a couple of years ago with a native speaker um, who grew up in Poland, and wow. she would say, as a matter of course, "Was macht Yid?" Right? You know, how are you doing? And then in a contemporary Yiddish language course, you have many non-Jews, and she would keep correcting herself, and she would kind of stumble over it um, as it became a problem <laughs> in an interesting ways. That um, totally idiomatic phrase in. Uh, kind of, the, as you said, like an internal speech community. And then when it's put in a secular context, it gets all, um, it becomes more difficult in interesting ways. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, you can say they're yid, you know, uh, I give an example of, of uh, you know, you can politely say, you know, please, will the gentleman stand, you know, will the gentleman please sit down? And you can say that in Yiddish using their yid for the gentleman or the, the you yeah. know, whereas if you said, yo, could, could that Jew please sit down? <laughs> it, 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 it simply doesn't translate. So I, I think my, my original insight about Jews not use it. So I had to, uh, you know, uh, th- this nuances the sort of broad Jews don't use the word Jew for most of the past 2000 years to describe themselves absolutely continues to hold in the vernacular. They don't own it. Mm. They don't use it. It's a word that's used by the hegemonic culture to talk about its other, to talk about the other. Um, and then, but then when we start getting into the modern period, 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, we do start seeing a, an appropriation of the term Jew as a name for self by people who self-identify as Jew. But that's a rocky road. You know, you're taking on a, a name for self that has, for 2,000 years, been a name for other, been a name for devil, been a name for, you know, not us, not self. And then, you know, the dynamics of modernity, of, of the rise of secularism, of the enlightenment, of whatever, you know, um, dynamics you want to you wanna point to in the last few centuries, um, uh, part of those dynamics is, uh, is uh, appropriation of Jew in dominant vernaculars as a name for self, um, and still a rocky one, still a still a, a conflicted, uh, still a, a you know uh, a, a problematic, laden, fraught. Uh, I'm teaching a Jewish studies course right now. I'm teaching a course on gender and Judaism right now at Bates, and a, a couple of my young undergraduate students in that course. Uh, not I have Jewish students and non-Jewish students, students who identify as Jews and students uh, who don't. And some of the some of the non-Jewish students came in and said, "Yeah, until I signed up for this course, I I literally didn't know that Jew wasn't. I, I mean, I, that you could say Jew in polite company. I didn't know that. I I mm-hmm. thought it was only uh, you know something that polite people didn't say. So I mean, yeah. that and these are 18, 19, 20 year old." Kids, so it's still very much that that fraught term. I actually so. remember right 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 as I was reading the book for the first time, um, and I was discussing it with someone, and they were like, "Oh, 
would you how would you react if someone called you a Jew? And I was like a bit I was I was unsure initially of what of what my reaction would be. And then literally I think the next day or a few days later, I was at an event and I introduced myself to someone. I was like, oh my name's Mendel. Um, which for those who know is a sort of recognizably Jewish <laughs> name. And they and this person asked me, they're like, oh, are you a Jew? And I, I had this sort of like visceral negative reaction to that question. And they had meant it in a, almost like a as a manner of like solidarity. Like, I'm Jewish too. Like, we should be friends. I don't know what. <laughs> I, react, I reacted so strongly against it. And I was, it was just interesting as I was reading this book, sort of to have that in mind and to see the way in which that, that word functions. Um, right, right. And you, I mean, you might, you, you, I don't know if you know about the, um, uh, my, I haven't. I have not had a New York Times book review, although I would certainly welcome one <laughs> of my book. But, uh, but it did get it did. <laughs> uh, or a New York review of books, or New, or New York. Uh, but but uh, yeah, there was an op ed uh, several months ago uh, that gave a shout out to my book, and it was all about you know it was but it was all about uh uh sort of yes we jews should appropriate this word jew and stop flinching at it uh-huh. and and you know stop letting it be that kind of weaponized language and we can do this by calling ourselves and each other jews and and uh, i gather uh uh my book was sort of uh, an impetus towards this uh this this writer uh uh, Oppenheimer, uh, um, uh, you know, coming to this, com- coming to to, uh, to write this op-ed for the New York Times. That's interesting, though, because so many of the examples you discuss in the later half of the book, and you sort of alluded to this already about the sort of tricky or difficult nature of reappropriating that word for oneself. And some of the examples are such subtle or ironic or um, interesting representations that don't sort of you know, easily or clearly fall out as a, we need to restake our claim to this word. Um, right. So I don't know, I don't know what to make of that. Just an interesting, interesting to see how it gets taken up in the New York Times op-ed pages, maybe, and how some <laughs> artists or writers or thinkers are sort of dealing with that question. <laughs> Right. You don't, you don't actually get to, uh, once you put your baby out in the world, you don't get to, uh, <laughs> yeah, get that's to true. control how it's uh, appropriate at all. Although I have to say, um, there was a, a really nice, um, uh, review, uh, in, I guess it was anti-Semitism studies. Robert Earlwine wrote a, a lovely review of the book and, uh, he, he actually, uh, referred to my book as a bracing and salubrious tonic, uh, to a tendency in Jewish studies to, to, you know, either to, you know, try to find the one authentic Judaism or to, uh, you know, to, uh, advance particular agenda, uh, agenda agendas, uh, you know, on, on the part of the Jewish community, which, um, uh, you know, so he, he was really struck by, uh, or he characterized my book as not, not easily lending itself uh, on agenda or another in that regard. Um, as you say, it, it really, it really, uh, I really live with and s- try to stay with the, the tensions, the, the, I don't try to resolve them. I try to explore them. I try to understand them. I try to, um, highlight, uh, you know, these sort of inherent tensions and ironies and, uh, complexities of this term without, you know, which is kind of the opposite of the, of the whole, who is a Jew thing. You know, if, if you conform to this, you're a Jew. If you don't, you're not. And you know, who gets to decide and, Oh, that was so, so you asked me uh, a ways back, you asked me what I left out of the book. I had no problem leaving that book. <laughs> I, I gestured towards it once or twice, but I had no problem leaving out the, the you know, uh, uh, any kind of long winded uh, uh, discussion of the, of the whole who is a Jew. Uh, um, That's right. You know. So I have a question that's actually, I think, maybe inspired by Naomi Seidman's um, response to you in that Marginalia Forum. Um, 
And the question is that part of your argument is that Jew or Jews have sort of occupied this this privilege, I don't know, privilege, but this position of other, of the other against which Christianity and the Christian West has sort of defined itself. Um, and I'm just, I, w- I wonder how unique you think this story is specifically about Jew and Jews. Is it is it a privilege story in some ways or is it is it the unique other of the West, and what, what what do you think it would mean if we sort of included other narratives about otherness, or um, how does Jew relate to Muslim, for example? Um, and would you see that as a sort of potentially interesting way for even pushing this pushing this conversation that you've started even further? Yeah, good question. Um, so I would say Jew is a unique other, not the unique other, but a unique other in the development of what has come to be known as Western culture and history, because it is Christianity's foundational other. Jew is that which must be displaced and delegitimized in order for Orthodox Christianity to stake its theological, ideological claims, right? We know how to read the Hebrew scriptures. Jews don't know how to read their own scriptures. We know they say that the Messiah is coming and that Jesus is the Messiah. Jews are blinded to this. So Jew is Christianity's foundational other, and insofar as Christianity is uh you know, the substrate of, of what has become the West, even the secular post-Christian West, it's still, um, Jew is the most proximate and deeply embedded other uh, to historically Christian Western civilizations. Now that said, it's obviously not the unique or exclusive other. Um, so it, it has attributes that are absolutely unique to it. <clears throat> Um, but othering is a, uh, a multi-form, ongoing, constantly morphing strategy, and we are getting a front row seat on that, you know, with regard to, uh, to Muslims, uh, Muslim immigrants to Europe and to the United States. Um, uh, it, we're really, you know, we're, we really are uh, absolutely grappling with this same dynamic, these exact same dynamics of othering and of defining a self, which is, you know, an American self or a European self, a French self, a German self over and against the excluded uh, other. So it's, um, you know, it's your standard operating procedure for constructing and maintaining group identities is, is othering is your standard, standard operating procedure and for consolidating power and privilege. So the West, the West, the West, the monolithic West, or all of its little uh, constituent parts has, has many others and each serves a range of purposes in various times and places um, and overlap and intersect with other others uh, in really in, in really interesting ways, in ways that are really important to parse out. And as you mentioned, um, um, uh, the again the the marginalia forum um, uh, really brought out that. Uh, that aspect of the book and, and though some of those, um, you know, some of those potential uh, critiques or ways in which um, uh, what I do with the word Jew in this book uh, has resonances, has uh, intersections, has uh, implications um, far beyond uh, Jewish studies per se, far beyond uh, examination of the word Jew. And as you know, uh, another part of chapter two, uh, or no, chapter three, the part three in my book um, is devoted to unpacking public discourse, primarily in Europe, although uh, it occasionally pops up in the U.S., uh, more and more so perhaps now, um, that frames Muslim immigrants of the past few decades as, quote unquote, the new Jews. It's, of course, a contentious label for obvious reasons and and, and a provocative one, um, because it encapsulates so many tensions, so much history, and it conveys a sense of the moral and ex- existential urgency of the situation. Just just a day or two ago on the radio, 
um, you know, I was hearing uh, uh, a journalist, a, a story on the radio um, that made oblique reference to um, made oblique reference to the stakes for Europe in getting this Muslim question right. Right. In a similar way to the way the Jewish question, quote unquote, tore Europe apart in the earlier, you know, in the earlier 20th century. So, um, yeah, so I would absolutely uh, say it is it is a unique example uh, or it is a unique uh, Jew is a unique other, but by no means um, the unique other or uh, uh, or, um, you know, uh holds any kind of exclusive or privileged position unique historically but but it's 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 one very potent and uh, particular example of this dynamic of othering as a as a means to creating consolidating sustaining privilege and and identity but by no means uh, is it the only. Um, so Michael Pragel's piece for Marginalia, I think, did a really wonderful job um, tracing out uh, many, many ways in which Jew and Muslim, um, as you put it, are entangled or, or you know, intersect with each other um, in a very uh, visible and, and um, visceral way uh, in, in, in the present moment. Yeah, you mentioned a bit earlier that you're teaching a course on Jewish studies and gender at the moment. And Mendel and I have both thought of the book Jew as an incredible resource for teaching Jewish studies. And we're just interested in the ways you approach this material um, for an undergraduate course. Um, do you teach Jewish studies always in conversation with other um, kind of, you know, in terms of gender or in terms of space? Um, do you bring in these political questions of the moment, such as the the new Jews? Um, we're just interested in how you would go about approaching Jewish studies um, in the college setting. It was it was literally my first thought as I was reading the book. I was like, oh my gosh, if I were teaching an intro to Jewish studies course, I would almost want to like <laughs> orient it around this book somehow. <laughs> 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 Please do that. Um, <laughs> um, well, uh, first, I have to say that Bates doesn't actually have Jewish studies. We don't have a Jewish studies program or a Jewish studies division uh, in our department or located anywhere in the college. Um, I was I um, I as a Judaist uh, was hired to teach both uh, Jewish studies, uh, the whole length and breadth of Jewish studies, again, small liberal arts college model, right? Um, but also to teach early Christianity. Uh, so that, the, the fact that I was, you know, the old paradigm was you got your, you know, you got your scholar of New Testament and early Christianity. And of course they, you know, they can cover, they can cover Old Testament too. Right. Um, so my position at Bates actually is a, a function of a real, um, uh, kind of intervention or flipped paradigm, um, by which, which you, you, it's, it's no longer unheard of that you will find somebody whose sort of center of gravity uh, and specialty is ancient Judaism teaching the courses in uh, New Testament and early Christianity uh, and the like. So, um, so one, one, uh, so a, uh, I, I, when I teach New Testament, uh, New Testament mm -hmm. is Jewish studies, okay, in this, in this paradigm. Most of the authors uh, uh, in the New Testament of the major writings, uh, some, of the, most of the, some of the Gospels, you know, the letters of Paul, etc., cetera, uh, Revelation, um, those authors are, are obviously Jewish Jesus believers, um, which makes uh, New Testament um, part of the purview of Jewish studies. Um, uh, as for teaching my book, yeah, I think it would be a great uh, intro to Jewish studies. We don't currently have a course, so I, I wasn't. I was in conversation with students as well as uh, as well as other uh, professional scholars, um, but uh, I wasn't creating. I was as I was writing this book, I wasn't creating mm. um, a course text, but. Uh, because we didn't have such a course, uh, Introduction to Jewish Studies, but I think it really would. Uh, I, maybe I'll build a course around it. Um, but I think it would 
I think, and you know, this this might sound like hubris, but I I, I don't mean it in that way, obviously. Um, but I think it would be a great uh, book. Uh, it would be great in a sort of introduction to liberal arts text as a as a liberal arts text um, because of its multidisciplinary structure and context and the way in which it models the you know engaging of uh, of a variety of disciplines and. Uh, ways of asking questions, um, you know, that that really bring together uh, ethnography and cultural studies and rhetoric and uh, literature and area studies and his- ancient history, classical studies, you know, the whole range. So, um, uh, yeah, I don't have just just as I don't think my method in writing this book is necessarily replic- replicatable um, uh, because it's so impressionistic in a sense. I mean, it's de- it's, I, I think the, the, the analytical elements are, are strong. I'm, I don't want to say I'm just, you know, I just, you know, wrote a collage. Uh, but at the same time, there is, uh, it, it's a very sort of idiosyncratic process. I would, I think again, how people would teach this book or the kinds of contexts in which uh, professors could imagine using this book um, would also be uh, similarly, you know, wide ranging. And I've actually heard from some colleagues that they, that they have uh, been using the book or are using the book in courses, but I haven't gotten the sort of, um, uh, what do you call it? The the sort of uh, after the fact. I haven't gotten the the uh, the uh, well. So how did it go yet? <laughs> so I'm actually looking forward to that. But if you guys have have any ideas, I'd love to love to hear. Um, I think it would be a good like first text or foundational text for an introduction to Jewish studies. I also think it would be amazing to have the book as a liberal arts textbook. It's kind of a intro to i mean normally well we're at u chicago and these are often phrased as western civilization courses and it would be very interesting to study western civilization through the lens of the uses and abuses of of jew as a word um and yeah it sounds amazing (laughs) yeah i agree i i agree i mean talk about you know from margin to center right it 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 really would provide uh i i think i personally think it would provide a lovely example again we're we're uh at a t- in in the small liberal arts setting uh like i'm in we don't tend to have those sort of large survey approaches um that you find at larger universities um uh um but but I still think, uh, yeah, I'm on sabbatical next year, and I, I might well use that time to, to really think about um, whether, even whether a course on introduction to Jewish studies um, would fly at a small liberal arts college and what it would look like and, and you know, how it might fit into our, our curriculum in that setting. Yeah, well, thank you so much. As we, as we wrap up over here, I feel like we've taken up quite a bit of your time. Um, can you just maybe tell us a little bit more? Are you, do you have any future projects in the works? Anything that's sort of capturing your interest right now that you can share with us? Well, let's see a couple of things. Um, you, uh, you, way back at the beginning, when we first started talking, you asked uh, if there were things that got left out of this book that, uh, that were hard to let go. And um, uh, my one of one of those things that I uh, that runs throughout the book attention to gender attention to women's experience attention to how masculinity ideas about masculinity or femininity or proper gender roles and and sexuality and um, you know those ways in which um, what we call race or ethnicity, what we, what we think of as class, what we uh, think of as nation, how those sorts of, um, those sorts of things uh, co-construct each other, uh, gender, class, race, nation, so forth. Um, I do, I, that's, that's, I think that's always 
visible or the that there that that's all that's a thread that runs through the book uh in particular given that my first book was so um explicitly devoted to gender uh examining gender the dynamics of gender um uh and and the emergence of jewishness or at least rabbinic jewishness um and that a number of my articles uh, throughout my career have likewise writing this book on jew uh uh you know these questions of gender appear and are highlighted in every part of in in parts one, two, and three. They're scattered throughout the book, but any kind of sustained attention, right? It's it's sort of hit and run attention here and there. Um, so I considered writing a uh, a whole section on Jewess, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that word, which is again. It's related to the word Jew. It is not the same at all. Uh, and in fact, when uh, my my book was uh, was discussed in a panel at the Association for Jewish Studies conference, not this past December, but the previous December, it had just come out. Um, and one of the first questions after the panelists uh, presented uh, came from Amy Jill Levine, uh, who wrote a wonderful article a uh, number of years ago now, um, which had the word Jewess in the title. So she stood up and she asked, so what about Jewess? Yeah. Um, so both my deep commitment to, you know, not, so I didn't write, a, I didn't write the Jewess piece of this book because it would have been, it would have been, you know, the ladies gallery, right? It would have been an annex um, to the book on Jew. And that, that, I, I didn't want to do that. So um, one of the things I'm working on right now is really um, is, is thinking about how to write, how to write the Jewess book, how to write the book that uh, really keeps a sustained focus on what we call intersectionality, what we call the the co-constituting, um, you know, the the co-constituting of of uh, Jewishness and gen, uh, gen, gender, ju- gender and class and nation and Jewishness and you know that that stuff in a way that I really wasn't able don't feel like I was able to do um in this uh in this book Jew so that's that's one piece the the sort of gendering a more sustained gendering of Jew or Jewing of gender uh if you will um uh another it, I, I could just leave it there um uh, there I have a few other things on back burners um if you're interested in hearing about them but I feel like I've also taken up quite a bit of your time and and uh talked an awful lot uh already unfortunately we are we are out of time we want to thank you so much for agreeing to interv- um to this interview and thank you for the incredible book um thank you so much well thank you so much for having me and 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 uh, i'm glad you like the book um as you can tell i still very much uh, i still very much do and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you for um some wonderful questions thank you thanks